Hey there, everybody. It's Tina Conrad, aka DJ Breast Cancer. I am here with COVID edition with a special guest. Her name is Cora Fahi. Okay, I resorted, resorted back to saying it the normal way, but she will, <laughs> she will say it in her Irish accent and you will love it. Um, but she is an amazing um, breast cancer survivor who has, um, you know, dense breasts. Oh, I'm really messing up today. And um, her, her only sister um, was diagnosed with DCIS and then had her own journey with cancer. Um, and so we're going to talk a lot about side effects. We're going to talk a lot about like what's kind of going on in her life. And you're going to love her Irish accent and fall in love. So hello, Cora. Welcome. Oh, Tina, thank you so much. And you did a very good job saying that. <laughs> <laughs> We're an American, or as my, my, my nieces and nephews call the Yanks, you did a very good job. So. <laughs> well, we practiced before, and I think I did it better then. But, you know, um, so welcome. I'd love to hear a little bit about you and your own words. And, you know, you're my first guest from Ireland, so I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. And I know you said you have other friends that you've had from Ireland. So um, I think we're a pretty good group of people. Yes. You know? And very humorous. And I'm sure that will come out in, in this. Humorous <laughs> and definitely the gift of gab. My mom always used to say a couple of things to me. She'd say to me, you could talk to princes and paupers because I could pretty much talk to anybody, basically. And then she would say, you could talk the hind legs off a donkey. <laughs> so um, definitely I have the wee bit of the gift of gab, but um, so yeah, I'm Cora Fahey, which you did very good with, um, and originally I'm from the west coast of Ireland, um, but I've made Maine my home for the last 30 years. Um, I've been in America 31 years. I was a nanny in New York City first, and then I moved to Maine in 1990, so I've been here for 30 years. Um, and I am uh, a physical therapist assistant. So I work with patients who are actually going through their own cancer journey. So I'm a, a cancer exercise specialist and I am also a um, certified lymphedema therapist. So I work a lot with patients who have gone through breast cancer. Um, I am also a uh, I have been a citizen since 2008, so I became naturalized. Um, so I am half Yank, half Irish, as my nieces and nephews call me the Yank when I go home. Um, <laughs> so, um, and, you know, I'm also a woman surviving breast cancer. So I have a tendency to try to, to lead with the other things in my life because I feel like, uh, Breast cancer is a chapter in my story, but it's not my full story. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so that's kind of who I am in a nutshell. I'm a sister. I am not a mother, but I'm a great aunt. Um, not a great aunt, but a brilliant aunt. Very good aunt. Um, <laughs> and I am a pretend mother to a bunch of my friends' kids. Um, I am a good friend and I am uh, very happy to be here with you today to talk Aww. to you. And I'm so excited because obviously we connected on social media and it feels like we've known each other a while. So it's nice to kind of, you know, put, put your voice together with, you know, you more as a person. So I'm excited and you are such a lovely human being. Like I love all that you do and 
you are such a proud American, which I think is just so amazing. Like I love all your posts about, you know, America and it, you are very proud of it. And I, and I love that. And I know you're proud of your heritage too. You're proud of both. Right. And, and then I love what you, you know, do for the community. I know that you were helping with testing and doing different things with COVID and, you know, you really do try to give back. And I just think that you're such a lovely, lovely, lovely human being. Thank you. Well, I feel the same way about you. I love what you do for the breast cancer community and the cancer community in general. Um, but I do love my country. I love America. I really, um, becoming a citizen was an absolutely amazing experience for me. I used to actually bring in my book because they give you a book to, uh, take your test from, and you have to learn all about the constitution and just everything about government and stuff. And so I would bring it into work and I'd be asking my patients questions as they were sitting on their bike or doing whatever they were doing. And they're like, Oh my God, Cora, I can't remember half of this stuff. And I thought, well, probably give me a year and I'll forget it too. But now I've, you know, got to learn it. So it was really, it was an amazing experience. And, um, I used to kind of shy away from politics because I, I feel like sometimes it can be so divisive and especially now it's really kind of scary mm -hmm. what's going on in the world. But I was, I became involved with a, a group called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And um, they do a lot of work in Washington to help get legislation passed on the house and the Senate floors and I figured, you know, if, if I'm going to get over my fear of becoming involved in politics and learning more about it um, and just becoming part of the solution as opposed to the problem, it was a really good way for me to get involved because it was something I was passionate about. Um, and I got to go to Washington last year and um, to be in the Capitol and to just be going from, you know, the House representatives to the Senate representatives, I got to actually go in the wee little train underneath the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, here I am, this girl from Galway, you know, in America, in the Capitol building and doing these things that I never before cancer, I never would have done. I never would have dreamed of doing any of the things that I've been doing since I have been diagnosed with cancer for the last five years. It's been unbelievable to me. Well, and I love that. And we can kind of get into more of your purpose too, because maybe that is a good you know, segue, but yeah. also, also so much of your job and your roles you know, do kind of intersect with cancer. So was that like, did that happen before you were diagnosed or did that kind of start you on this path, you know, to do those sort of roles? Um, Cause I know you work with lymphedema and cancer exercise and other things. Well, actually um, I was, I've been a certified lymphedema therapist since 2011. Um, and I did that for a couple of reasons. I really, um, when I was working with my physical therapists, I just, uh, really want, I was really interested in that whole process and um, manual lymph drainage and how to help women and men learn how to manage their own diagnoses. I just thought that that was wonderful to empower the patient to, to take care of themselves. So my sister, um, and I'll probably end up flipping back and forth because that's what I do back and forth. <laughs> um, but my sister was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2008. 
Um, and she actually died in 2011. And I took my course as a certified lymphedema therapist the month after she passed away. Mm. And um, I did it because I really wanted to work in that field. And I wanted to, um, I, in some way, I don't know if I felt like I would be closer to her if I was doing yeah. something like that. So that was when I did the, so I've been doing certified lymphedema therapy work since 2011. And then the weird thing that happened in 2015, which is when I was diagnosed myself with breast cancer, is that um, a month before I got diagnosed, I had been sitting down with my supervisor and talking to her about the fact that I, I wanted to now go into oncology rehab, that I felt like that was a great segue and a great addition to my lymphedema work. Um, and so we si I signed up for a course. So a month before I got diagnosed, I had signed up. I was supposed to go, I believe it was in May or June of 2015. And then a month later, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Hmm. And my boss, who, you know, my, my work and my boss and coworkers have been unbelievably supportive. She sat me down and she said, Cora, you know, we, you do not have to do this. This might be way too hard for you. It might be just too close to home. And I looked at her and I said, oh, no, back the truck up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I am definitely becoming certified in oncology rehab. I probably can't take this course because I'm going to be in the middle of whatever, you know, treatment. But I want to go to the next one when I physically can. So I, I did do that in 2016. I was able to go um, to Boston and I, I took a, uh, an oncology, advanced oncology rehab uh, course. So that was, that was um, kind of how it ended up. But it definitely is it's almost like it was meant to be. And it does feel like a purpose, like you were mentioning. It just feels like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I feel that way so much too, even if, you yeah. know, my, even if my job all the time isn't, you know, centered around cancer. Like I now work for a company that, you know, has a foundation that has, you know, breast cancer and there's so many activities. Like it just felt like I was meant, you know, to come here and do this and, and, yeah. and, and I can get into a lot more situations, but it does kind of feel like that. And, and I loved even in, you know, some of the correspondence we had before this, you know, you talked about like your prayer mantra yeah. about thy will be done. And like that sense oh. of, that sense of like peace that it gives you, but also like that it's something bigger than you. And, you know, I, I thought that that was just really beautiful. I don't know if you want to share like what that means to you, but it's just, it was really powerful when I read it. Thank you, love. Well, it was powerful to me when it happened because, like I had written to you, um, you know, I'm I'm Irish Catholic, and Catholic is one thing, but Irish Catholic's a whole other level. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, my poor parents and and brother and sister are probably rolling over in their graves. But I I don't I'm not practicing. I don't go every um, Sunday, but I am spiritual, and I do pray every day. I pray to you know, God, I pray to Mary and I pray to my family who are already in heaven to take mm -hmm. care of me and to take care of my rest of my family and my tribe. Um, but I, like I say, I just don't go. So the interesting thing, and I don't think I got to write this in the, um, little blurb that I sent you 
was for the longest time before I got diagnosed, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses used to come to my house and they were a lovely group of women and they would always come up and I'd always talk to them and listen to them. And I, you know, at the very end of it, I'd say, listen, ladies, you are so lovely, but you know, I'm Irish Catholic, so I'm basically a lost cause. Like you're, <laughs> you're just, you know, you're going to keep talking, but I'm going to be Catholic till the day I kick the bucket. It's just the way I am. I'm just, that's how I am. But thank you so much for reaching out and for, you know, thinking of me. And the thing was, this is a really small community. So um, when they found out I had breast cancer, they would just check in. They, they would just leave me little notes. They would... Um, they would ask my a coworker who knew them, how is Cora doing? Is she okay? And then one day I had mentioned at some point to one of them that I didn't even own a Bible. <laughs> and which is pretty sad for an Irish Catholic and the nuns are probably definitely rolling over in their graves. <laughs> um, but one day I came home um, in the middle of my treatment and I actually ended up working. I was able to work during my chemo. Um, but I came home and there was a Bible on my deck and it was very much appreciated because for some reason I'd been going through, um, during the chemo, I'd been going through a lot of side effects that were a little different than the nausea. I, I wasn't getting sick. In fact, I, for some reason was really hungry all the time and I gained a little bit of weight, but I was getting these really horrible, um, skin lesions and you know boils and all this kind of stuff and it, i felt like i was you know like job you know the, when the i needed the play the plague was coming next or you know the locusts were going to come because it was just it just felt so awful and so i decided to read the book of job because i'd never done it and i got some really good um guidance from that and i actually got some uh, perspective and some relief. So one of the days that I call my boohoo days, I, I, I didn't have very many of them because I'm normally an upbeat person. And so it's very, very, not very often that I get very low, but I had my boohoo day one day and I was literally on the floor, um, curled in a fetal position. And when I am scared or sick, I actually tend to cry for my mammy, as I call her, my mom. And so I was on the ground crying for my mammy and I was just so afraid. I had all of this fear of the unknown of, was the chemo going to work? Was it going to you know, kill me in the process um, because of all of these things I was having happening? I ended up going into anaphylactic shock also from my chemo. So, I mean, I had all of this stuff and I was so frightened. And I remember hearing this voice as I was crying for my mammy and crying to God. And it said, the words were, thy will be done. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was as clear as day in my head. And I remember the feeling of calmness that came over me. I've never had experienced that in my life, never. Um, and to this day, when I do get that fear, and you know what I'm talking about, I think all cancer patients do, it's that um, it creeps up and it's like mm -hmm. going to take you over. 
when I do feel that feeling, I, I go back to that day on the floor in the fetal position and I hear that, I hear those words and it immediately gives me calmness, immediately. Um, and I don't know where that came from because again, like I say, I'm not necessarily the one that goes to church all the time, but um, I do feel like that day, all of my family were looking out for me. God was looking out for me. Mary was looking out for me. Just everybody was because that was what I needed that day so much. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I, if people listened, you know, to all of my podcasts, like my, my experience with cancer definitely was more of an invitation to become closer to God. I too was raised Catholic. I'm Lutheran now, which are basically like a distant cousin. Um, but yes, I was raised Catholic, so I can relate to all of that. But when I was even waiting for, um, you know, to see that first scan, to see, you know, whether it had spread, you know, I was just filled with that fear, that just crazy, crazy fear. And I remember I went and lit a candle, you know, at a nearby church, because that's what Catholics do, you know. We do. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Oh my God. We go and light a candle. And um, it just filled me with a lot of peace. And then very early on, I, I didn't even know, I think that I had cancer yet at that point, but my, my grandmother had passed away years prior to my diagnosis. But I just saw the most beautiful rainbow, like beautiful rainbow. And it's hard to describe, but I think you kind of describe it too, just this overwhelming sense of peace and that everything was going to be okay. okay. Maybe it wasn't my sense of okay. You know what I mean? It was yeah. bigger than me, but everything was going to be okay. And I kind of always, to your point, like um, they weren't sure if they had clean margins. You know, there was a lot of scary, scary points that, you know, ensued after that. But I always kind of referred back to that you know, that moment of peace and, and felt like, you know, I, I'm going to be okay. You know, like, and to your point, like, I think they will be done is probably more the beautiful words that like accompany that. So like, it's just a really beautiful story that you shared. Thank you. And it was crazy. It was like literally out of nowhere it came. Mm. Uh, and the other thing I have a tendency to do, and, and um, I had a, one of my oncology patients, cancer patients, he and I talked about this a lot is, um, it is what it is. And that was one of his favorite sayings. And it was one of my favorite sayings. And he has since passed, which really broke my heart last, last year. Um, and in his house, when I went to visit him before he passed away, he had this big sign on his uh, mantelpiece and it said, it is what it is. Aww. And kind of that is the way in the last decade of the different losses that I've had, I don't know, there's something about all of that that just gives you perspective of you don't have control over a lot of things in life, yeah. but you have control over the way that you respond to what comes your way. Mm -hmm. And it is what it is and I will be done. There, those are two sayings that you know pop up into my head when I have that fear coming up. Um, and they do bring a lot of uh, relief and, and peace, like you said, definitely bring peace. So I love that. That's so beautiful. You, you need to get a sign in your house. It is what it is. I know. I <laughs> I'm sure Etsy, I'm sure Etsy will have one. <laughs> I will definitely have to pick one of those ones up. I have the other signs of the, you know, 
Um, she stood in the storm and if the wind did not blow her way, she adjusted her sails. That one I look at every single day because oh. that was one of the other sayings that um, gave me a lot of help when I was going through this because again, like you talked about your cancer, you didn't know if you had uh, clean margins, whatever. Cancer is not linear. It does not take a linear path. It does this weaving and tacking, which I'm not really a sailor, but I think tacking is the word. Um, <laughs> and you have to learn to navigate it. Um, you know, you have to learn how to connect with your team and figure out, okay, so now the poop has hit the fan with this. So what do we do? What's our next move? What's our next weave or tack? Um, and so those sayings for some reason, and I never realized, I think I talked to you about the fact that I didn't understand how much words and the written word could make such a difference in your life um, when you're going through these, can I say shite storm on, on this? Oh part? yeah. Yeah. You okay. can say whatever you want. <laughs> can I say, uh, yeah, I try not to swear too much, but <laughs> I, I do call, I technically had started off calling it a shit storm because cancer really is kind of a shit storm, but I, I tend to try to make it a little bit less, um, and say shite storm and people can, I think people can relate to that a little bit more because <laughs> it is different and it has that Irish flair to it. So, I know. Uh, yeah. I, so, I feel like the same with the person I know from work. Like, I swear she can say anything in her Irish, you know, brogue, and you know, <laughs> and get away with anything. It's, it's totally legit. <laughs> oh, I've, I've had people ask me to just swear for them because they like to hear me swear in an Irish <laughs> accent. Like, oh, well, I can accommodate you. No problem, love. I can definitely swear, swear like a trooper, but I'll try not to too much. But yeah, so, so the shite storm and the navigating, it's like we, we, we have to be able to figure out how to navigate through this because it's not going to be linear. Yeah. And so you had asked me a little bit about um, my, how I ended up having lumpectomies and then had to go and have a double mastectomy. And that was similar in the fact that I, I originally started off thinking that I had one tumor and we got great margins and everything looked good. And my plan of care at that point was to do, um, I wasn't going to do radio or chemo because my oncotype score came back at a number that I felt comfortable with not taking chemo. Um, so I was slated to take uh to do radiation and i said to my surgeon at the time right after my um first lumpectomy i said listen molly her name was molly collins how cool is that to have a surgeon whose name is molly collins <laughs> um so i said molly i'm afraid of what's going on in righty can we do um a breast mri to make sure that there's nothing else going on in the other breast because my first lump was found on my left breast. So, or I found my first lump, should I say. Um, so I ended up going for the MRI and long story short, they found something suspicious on my left breast, but on the opposite side of where the first tumor was found. So my first tumor was in the, you know, towards my breast bone, my chest bone, and the other one was out towards my armpit. So are the other 
should I say, suspicious lump was found there. So we went in and did a biopsy. And the biopsy came back as lobular carcinoma in situ. So my first tumor was invasive ductal carcinoma. And they deemed it was a stage 2A um, because my lymph node had micrometastasis, but not enough to, to deem it involved. So, so then I got this other diagnosis of lobular carcinoma in situ. And that is technically, it's almost like a precursor to cancer. It's, it's a very, or it's a stage zero kind of thing. And I joked with my, my surgeon and I said, oh, only I would find the precursor after I found the first bloody cancer. Like, oh, I, I wouldn't take the regular route. I have to go opposite way. <laughs> She's laughing. And she actually took my case to the tumor board because I had such a, a kind of complex 10 years prior to finding my cancerous lump. I had all of these dense breasts. I had cystic, I called it my lumpy boob syndrome. I pretty much was full of cysts. So she brought my case to the tumor board and they said, you know what, don't leave that in there. Go in, take it out because we just don't know. And so on her way in to get the lobular carcinoma in situ, she found two more cancerous tumors that were uh, invasive ductal carcinoma. They had metastasized from the original tumor, which is the one I found, then they had spread within my breast. Wow. I ended up having three tumors. So when I woke up from that um, surgery, uh, I, I felt so bad for Molly because the look on her little face when I woke up and I looked at her and I said, it's not good, is it, Molly? And she said, no, I'm so sorry, Cora. So I said, don't you worry, we'll, we'll figure this out. Um, and previous to that, when I had talked to my oncologist about chemo um, and because my oncotype score, and I'm, I'm sure everybody knows what the oncotype testing is and scores, um, but basically what it is is where they take your tumor and they figure out if you would benefit from having chemo or not. And my initial score was 19. So zero to 18 is you really you don't need chemo. 18 to 30 is kind of that gray area. If you're closer to 18, you should be relatively okay, or you at least talk to your um, oncologist. If you're closer to 30, ah, you really want to have chemo because 30 and above is definitely. So, so there's that little gray area. So I had told my surgeon or my oncologist, nah, I find that 19 is close enough to the 18 cutoff that I feel comfortable with my own body in just doing the radiation and taking the tamoxifen. So then fast forward to finding the two other lumps. So I go back into my oncologist and I look at him and I say, listen, Dr. B, my mother did not raise stupid children. One, key, one lump, I figured my body could deal with it, but three tumors hook me up to the chemo. I'm definitely having it. Mm -hmm. So, so I ended up doing two lumpectomies, four rounds of chemo, and then I ended up having my double mastectomy um, in the November of 2015. Wow. So you had a lot of surgeries. That's a, lot. a lot of surgeries. Yeah, mm -hmm. I did. 
I did. And um, after they did the double mastectomy, um, they did send off my tissues on my right side, um, as righty as I used to call her. And thankfully, there was nothing going on in there. But basically, what uh, I went for a second opinion at one time just because my surgeon said, I really want you to see somebody else for this too, which I thought was really wonderful. And the first thing that this woman, this doctor said to me was, Cora, you have some of the most challenging breasts I've seen in a long time. <laughs> and when somebody, when a doctor whose job it is to look at boobs all the time and breast cancer, when they say that to you, you think, oh, shite, this is not good. <laughs> so she said to me, she said, I would suggest a double mastectomy because we can't with good conscience tell you that we'll be able to see anything in the right breast because we didn't see anything in the left breast with the MRI or the ultrasound. So I was like, oh yeah, take, take both of them off. I am not, you know, having to deal with all of these biopsies and hoping that you can see it with the MRI. I just want them gone. So that's kind of how I ended up having to do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, for any listeners out there, you know, the dense, the denser your breasts are, you know, it, it does make it so much more difficult for imaging and for everything. Um, you know, it poses a lot of challenges. I think, you know, if that's something your doctor tells you, then you should have more conversations about what that means for you because exactly. it's, it's really important. Yes. And I, I too had very dense breasts and, and I, I had, um, invasive ductal and lobular as well. My, my lobular was a mess though. Like <laughs> it was, oh. It was is exposed or you know out or whatever, but um, I had double the fun kind of cancer, which is you know kind of crazy too. It is well, actually, once they did the double mastectomy, I forgot to add this one in. So my my oncologist came back and she said, Cora, you had ductal carcinoma in situ in your left breast as well that didn't go away with the chemo. So mm. I was very fortunate that I opted with the you know talking with my um, team that I opted for doing uh, a double mastectomy that actually really, I think worked for me because um, I had a myriad of different cancers. It was like a smorgasbord in there <laughs> between lobular ductal. I'm like, seriously, I have all three of them. That's bloody crazy, but, oh, but it is what it is. You know, that's the way it was. And, and um, I'm very fortunate that I had such a wonderful team to work with me. And I, I'm in a rural area. I'm in a place called uh, Seal Cove, Maine. So it's, um, I think a lot of people are familiar with Bar Harbor and Acadia National Park. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where I live. The, the island where Bar Harbor is, I live on that same island. So it's a very, you know, small, rural, um, and my hospital's not a huge hospital, but I feel like I got as good a care as I could have in any hospital. And I did go to Dana-Farber for a second opinion. And I still decided that I was going to have my treatments, my surgeries, everything in my own little hospital. And I, I likened it to, um, you know, in the old West where they, uh, you know, the circle, the wagons when they were having, you know, the fights or whatever, mm -hmm. when I would, when I walk through the doors of my hospital for my treatments and my surgeries, it was like they, all of my coworkers, all of the hospitals circled the wagons around me. And they were like, it's Cora. 
we are going to take care of her. And I firmly, firmly believe that that helped in my healing, that that feeling of knowing that people cared goes a huge way. And having that tribe goes a huge way to making the healing process go better. Yeah. Well, I love that. And it's such a beautiful way to describe it. Um, so you did have to adjust your sales quite a few times. I mean, <laughs> you definitely had to. Um, yeah. And I think that is a beautiful quote and definitely, you know, summarizes your journey so well. It does. It really did. It, 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 a friend of mine sent it to me. It's a, it's a little uh, wooden plaque kind of thing. And I have it on my window. And when she sent it to me, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is so me. This is perfect. Yeah. And, and Elizabeth Edwards had breast cancer. Um, oh, even better. Yeah. Or like yeah. even more fitting, I should say. It's, yes. Exactly. <laughs> she <laughs> probably wouldn't say better. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, it was just, it was very poignant and seemed to, to really fit. Um, so yes, I did navigate. I did, you know, try to adjust my sales as much as I could. And I still am. Like, I think we all are. I think we all it doesn't matter how far out you are, there's always still things that you have to deal with as a result of what we've gone through. Yeah, which kind of actually leads me to the next subject, which is tamoxifen versus yeah. AI, <laughs> aromatase inhibitors for anyone who needs to know, um, which you've been on tamoxifen now five years, and I know your doctor has been encouraging you to look into AI, and I'm actually in the very same place. So I'd love to kind of chat about this with you and kind of feel your thoughts. We kind of talked a little bit before we started recording, but would love to know kind of where your headspace is at. Yeah, it's been, it's definitely been a challenge for me. Like originally when I got on tamoxifen, um, my doctor uh, my oncologist was thinking I would be on it for 10 years. So I kind of was going through the first couple of years thinking, oh, shite, I've got to be on this thing for 10 years. I've got to figure out how to manage any of the side effects I'm having, you know, whether it be the hot flashes, the fatigue. I call it the, the tamoxifen wave. It's like this wave of fatigue that hits me, not all the time, but every so often. And I, I feel like it's, I don't know if it's the tamoxifen is building up in my body and it's like, just knocking me for a loop. But all of these different side effects, I figured, okay, well, I'll figure out how to manage these. And then he started probably three years in, he said, well, we're looking at possibly um, five years of tamoxifen and then five years of an AI or an aromatase inhibitor. And I think he was, um, letrozole, I think is what he was looking at, or one of those. Um, and I was like, oh, okay the scan <laughs> and thankfully my um in hindsight i wish i'd had it done five years ago um and that's where i'll just throw out the survivorship care plan which is something we'll probably talk about later on that's where i wish i'd had something like that to to let me know what some of the side effects of the um chemo and the tamoxifen would be um, because I wish I'd had that DEXA scan to know what I was beforehand, but I didn't. So I ended up um, talking to my nurse practitioner and saying, you know, um, this is what I'm on. This is what he's looking at doing. And she said, well, has anybody done a DEXA scan? 
let's get a baseline. So I was like, oh, that's good, brilliant. So I went in and did my DEXA scan and uh, I'm able to access my records. Um, and so I remember reading the first line of the um, report on my DEXA scan basically went something like this. If this patient is not on pharmacological interventions at this time, they need to be. <laughs> so when I read my report, I was like, oh, this is not good. And then my nurse practitioner called me and she goes, Cora, I was not expecting that. So basically what it was, was I was extremely osteoporotic. Um, I, there's a T-score so that they, they figure out this score and anything above zero is good. Anything below zero, not so great. Closer to zero could be osteopenia. You know, you can still work with it. So mine was, uh, and the worst is minus four, by the way, I'll preface that. My lumbar spine was minus 3.3. Oh, wow. Yeah. My femur and pelvis were minus uh, 2.5 and minus 2.3, I believe. So either way, they all sucked. <laughs> and so my, my, and what was really hard for me, Tina, was that I have been a runner. I just actually found my half marathon medal that I had from 2005. So I've been running since like 2004. And so, you know, not fat. It's not far, not pretty, but I've been doing that weight bearing type of exercise and my job, I am constantly exercising with my patients, mimicking weights, like, you know, doing the Vanna White of showing them how to do things. So I'm always doing something weight bearing. I never thought I would have osteoporosis. I thought maybe osteopenia because I'm kind of a small, I'm slight. And a lot of times Irish people tend to veer on that side or they tend to, to be, you know, slightly osteoporotic just because we don't get much vitamin D and all that stuff. But I never thought I would be that severe. And so um, what it turned out to be was um, some of the side effects from the chemo, but also the tamoxifen sped up, you know, I may have had osteoporosis later in life, but what they did was they sped things up. Mm -hmm. um, and that was very disconcerting for me. I really was upset because I'd done everything I thought. I was taking me calcium. I was taking me vitamins. I was doing the weight bearing. Um, and I really wasn't expecting that. So, so that kind of got me on a track of, all right, so the, the stuff you put in your body makes a huge difference. Y yes, it can kill the cancer, but it can also do other shaitia that you don't really necessarily want. So is there a happy medium? And so I've been having conversations with my oncologist and sometimes they get a little feisty um, because he has one opinion and, and I definitely have a strong opinion also. Um, and what I wanted to know was, because when we go on an, an aromatase inhibitor, one of the biggest side, of AI, or side effects of AI is actually bone density loss. So in my case, if I am to go on an AI, I have to be on something for my osteoporosis. So now I'm adding another drug to my system. Mm -hmm. 
that's the concern I've had. And that's what I've been, um, I had a really good appointment with him recently and he gave me some information on how to do the research as to what is the benefit of me going from tamoxifen to an AI, like what percentage benefit? And this is, you know, again, for me, everybody's different. And I would always talk with your doctor, always talk with your team. Um, but it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to want to know what these things are. So I'm trying to figure out what benefit switching will be for me in terms of recurrence or metastasis, because the concern I have is putting another drug like Prolia or um, drugs for osteoporosis into my system. And what's that going to do for side effects? So it's, it's definitely challenging for me and I haven't made a decision yet. I, I have until the end of this year to kind of come up with a decision. So it's definitely been challenging and I'm doing a lot of research um, and asking lots of questions and, and advocating for myself because I think we have to. We have to be our own best advocates. Yeah, and you bring up some good questions. I think when I get back in with my doctor, I will ask her, like, what is the percentage benefit, you know, that she sees for me myself? Because um, you have that, have that scan done. Ask for a baseline. Have yeah. you ever had well, I, I don't know if I've done like a scan scan. I did something at work. They had a machine. Maybe it's a scan. I don't know. But like I put my foot in and then they like measured something. It was like bone loss. And so... Right. I mean, so, I was, I was fine with that. Like I was normal or good or whatever. So if it's just the foot die, the thing with the DEXA scan machine is they lie, they lay you down. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah. They lay you down. Chickens legs, people lie down. Anyway, whatever. You <laughs> lie down on this thing and they actually scan your whole body. Okay. Because again, if you noticed when I talked, I have a worse number in my lumbar spine than I did in my hips and my pelvis. So, um, or in my femur as well. So I would, if I were you, ask your doctor, should I get a DEXA scan? Should I have a baseline? Because again, this is where that survivorship care plan that I'm trying to get passed in Congress um, to allow patients to be able to have that done at initial diagnoses. If you had a knowledge that, oh, this could potentially uh, make you have decreased bone density, then, oh, maybe I should have a DEXA scan. Let me talk to my doctor. Or, you know, should, should, is this a conversation I need to have with my doctor? Mm -hmm. um, and that would be, you know, what would be on something like a survivorship care plan. Um, so I would, you know, just have that conversation to see because, um, I don't know, I, I just feel like I want to have more information and that's just how I am. That's just how I've always been is I do the research. I'm, I'm the one who goes on to the internet. Most people run screaming from the building when they get something like a diagnosis, they don't want to see. I'm the opposite. I want to see it all. And I want to gather as much information because for me, I feel like knowledge is power. And I want to, you know, form an opinion myself, still hear what my surgeons, my oncologists, everybody in my team has to say, but ultimately, ultimately I make the decision. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I think I would, if, if you 
skin, just talk with your doctor about getting that scan and seeing because um, it is part of the whole process, really. Okay. Well, that's very helpful. And, you know, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording just about, you know, when you know what you know, it's okay. But when you don't know, like that's when, again, the fear and like the, you know, especially when you've been through cancer and you've been through so many different things thrown at you, you know, everything. It's like, do I really, you know, I know what I get with tamoxifen. I know it. But, you yeah. know, do I, do I really want to introduce, you know, a new, a new suspect, you know, into the, exactly. into the game, you know, <laughs> better the devil, you know, than the devil you don't know, as my mom would say. Yes. Yes. You know, I, like you said, we know what side effects we are dealing with. We know we've learned ways to manage them and the thought of having something else. And then another drug in my case, I can't go on an AI without the osteoporosis dr- drug. Mm-hmm. So now I've got two drugs that I'm looking at the potential for the next five years or longer for the osteoporosis one, probably, um, of trying to figure out how to deal with um, any side effects that come with that. And it's, it is scary. It's really wicked scary. It is. It is. Ugh, such, such <laughs> things. And I, and I kept saying like, oh, you know, I, I kept telling her, yeah, 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 I'll look into it, you know. And then it was like, then COVID happened. And then, you know, I have, I had three months of tamoxifen that get filled and I'm on like my last month. And, you know, now I'm just like, I don't know. I don't, (laughs) I don't know that I can make a decision. And I don't even honestly know when I'm going in to see her next. So I, I think at that point in time, that'll be a good time for a conversation and more details, you know, because I agree. I think, you know, I, I, want to make an educated, you know, decision, um, you know, with all the facts in play and like, you know, are you talking a difference of 2% or are you talking a difference of 20%? You know, exactly. Exactly. You know, I like numbers and they speak to you me. Do. I do. <laughs> Sometimes numbers make me want to go la 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 because I sucked at math at school. But, um, but the other thing before I forget to say it, because with my chemo brain, sometimes I do, um, we talked a little bit about just the online breast cancer community. What an amazing um, yes. resource of not just support, but knowledge. You know, I've asked people and people have asked me about um, different drugs and different side effects. And it's a great place to learn from other women who are actually on the drug and what issues they've had. You know, so that's another thing is to just reach out to the online breast cancer community, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm not really a Twitter person. I don't know how to tweet very well, but, um, but yeah, so they're, they're such a source of information. And um, I found, I don't think I could have gotten through this without the online breast cancer community and the online cancer community, in particular, the breast cancer community. No, no, I agree. Yeah. I might have to put, throw something out there to the world and see what they say. Yes, for sure. Um, So I'd love to hear a little bit about this survivorship care plan that you've referenced. So is this something that you're working on as part of the national coalition for cancer survivorship or what specifically is this? Well, I'm kind of on two fronts. I, I definitely, um, the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, they are um, trying to get a bill sponsored. Um, and I'm trying not to butcher it because it's such a long one, but it's the, oh, here we go. Brain fart. Um, cancer Care Planning and Communications Act. So um, what they're trying to do is in the House, right now it's still not gotten past the House, um, but 
what they want to do is to have Medicare have a billing code because we know that if you can't bill for something in the healthcare field, you, you, you know, it's very hard to get anything. So they're trying to get Medicare to have a service code or a billing code put in their system that would allow um, cancer patients to get a survivorship care plan at the initial diagnoses. So survivorship, according to NCCS, is from the from the initial diagnoses through the balance of life. Because as we know, when we get diagnosed, it doesn't stop there. You know, five years down the road, we're still dealing with stuff. Mm -hmm. Some of us are still going through treatment. So, so what this would do is if if Medicare can get that in there. If we could get this passed, um, when you go to your doctor, because the thing, other thing is as Medicare goes, so do the rest of the insurance companies. So Medicare is kind of the standard of care and, and a lot of insurance companies will follow that. So um, if we can get Medicare to do it, then every cancer survivor once they're diagnosed and they're in their oncology or surgeons, but mostly oncology office, the oncologist could take the time to do a survivorship care plan, or they could designate it to like a nurse navigator, but they'd be able to actually bill for it and take the time. And, and what a survivorship care plan is, it's something that's fluid. It, it is something that's ever changing because we are ever changing and we are ever evolving. So this should evolve with us, but it can be a hard copy or it can be something that a person, a patient can access online. Um, because again, you know, when you were told you had cancer, your, your world stops for a while. You, you, you can't, you don't even know your bloody name for God's sakes. You just totally can't comprehend anything. So a lot of people, and in my case, a lot of my patients that come in don't know exactly what their cancer is. They know they have cancer. They know it's, you know, cancer of wherever, but they don't necessarily always know the stage. They don't always remember what drugs they were given. They don't always remember what side effects those drugs give. So a survivorship care plan would be there for them when they could read it, when they could actually absorb it. It may be a month down the road, it may be six months down the road, but they have something that tells them what they've had, what treatment they've had, and what they need to look for in the future, what tests they need to have in a year, what appointments they need to have, who they need to go see. And it kind of, I feel like it would empower patients to be their own advocates and to take care of themselves. Um, so we're trying to get that passed in the national legislation, like up in, in Washington, but I'm also trying to do a little bit of it here in my own state. Um, I'm on a breast cancer advisory board with one of my local hospitals and um, they are trying to get a survivorship program going and are very interested in survivorship care plans. Um, so that's kind of, I'm trying to go at it from two, two sides. No, that's awesome. And I, 
actually am on a local advisory board like as a survivor but i didn't even know that such a thing existed so that'll be something great that i can bring up even at the next meeting so thank you (laughs) and if you can go on to nccs um, and i i strongly suggest anybody that's listening go on there they have unbelievable resources they're up to date on all of the different legislation that's being passed and really if you think about it um they're they're making decisions for us in congress well they're doing it all the time but you know if you want to make a change in your own life and in your own treatment and in the treatment of your friends around you and your tribe and your team um you need to kind of be informed and they have amazing resources on there. Um, and so if you get a chance, really go on there. They even have a survivorship care plan example mm-hmm. of what it would look like. Um, so definitely get on there. A wonderful group of people. Wonderful group of people. Awesome. Well, I will include the link um, when this episode yes. comes out too. So that's great. And it's, it just seems so silly, you know, like, you know, we have a new car that has a plan for, you know, huh? the next. 10,000 miles, 20,000 miles. So it's just crazy that we can do something like that for a car. And, you know, we're obviously trying to fight to get it for human beings, but I know, I know. But yeah. when I, when I talked to my legislative, the representatives, um, offices this past week, um, Senator Collins actually, so again, it's not gotten past the house. So we have, they can't really do anything in the Senate, but Senator Collins, from my state has done something similar in passing um, like an Alzheimer's care plan. So again, there's stuff like that out there for other diagnoses. um, And there are 16.9 million people surviving cancer in America in 2019, 16.9 million of us. And think about if we all had a care plan that followed us, how much that would help even in the long term like i say to them it's a no-brainer to me if you put the money in in the beginning it is going to reduce costs in the end because people know what to look for and they get there Mm -hmm. before it becomes a huge problem yeah so that was my selling point it's a (laughs) no-brainer yeah no i love it well thank you for sharing you have so many amazing insights into all of this um I would, I would love to ask you, so I ask every guest a Tina tip. So it could be, you know, something very practical that you experienced. It could be something really big and just inspirational in general, but would love to know, you know, just what is some advice you would give to a listener who's, you know, either just getting diagnosed or really in the throes of it, or just dealing with the newest normal that they are experiencing now? Well, I, I kind of wrote to you a little bit about the fact that, um, coping with cancer had asked that same question online and because I follow them and I follow cure um, magazine and all those different organizations. So they asked the same thing. And what I wrote was something I actually had told my patients, um, my oncology patients, one particular patient um, comes to mind when I, when I think of this and she was a young woman who had just been diagnosed with breast cancer, pretty much the same type of breast cancer I had. Um, And she came into me and she was so frightened. She was just so scared. She had two little kids and I can't understand what that feels like to have children because I don't have any. 
and to be going through this, it must be horrible. So she was looking to me for, for something. She, want, she needed me to give her something, not just exercises, but something. So I told her something that I used to do. Um, and it was in the morning, I would actually look at myself in the mirror. I know this sounds really weird. But I would look myself right in the, in the eyes in the mirror and I would say to myself, you are the strongest woman that you know. And what I told her was, do me a favor for the next five to seven days, look yourself in the mirror and say, I am the strongest woman that I know. And what will happen is you change the chemistry in your brain. You, you, when you say it, you are it. When you feel it, you are it. Um, so I asked her to go home and do that. And I am not kidding you. I didn't see her because my other therapist worked with her. I didn't see her for two weeks. And when she came back and I got to work with her, she was a different person. Hmm. She was a very different person. And she hugged me and she said, Cora, that really worked. So what I wrote to Coping with Cancer magazine was, um, and they actually quoted it, um, was look yourself in the mirror every day and repeat. I am the strongest person I know because males go through breast cancer too. So I had to change that. Um, we all have the warrior within and when faced with a battle, we fight. And so I would really want people who are going through a cancer diagnosis to do that, to really look themselves in the mirror, in the eye, and, and say, I am the strongest person that I know, because we all are. We've all got that strength in there. It just, it, you have to dig for it, and you have to bring it up to the surface. Mm, I love that. And there is so much power in like how we talk to ourselves and how oh, we, yeah. yes, I love that. Yes, definitely. If we say it, we feel it, we are it. You know, well, I have, I have a lot of good quotes for when, <laughs> for when this episode comes out that I can post for this, but yes, Cora, you've been amazing. Like you're, you're just such a great inspiration and I know that we're going to stay in touch. We didn't even get oh. into so many things. We're gonna have to have a part two, I think. That would be brilliant. I have really enjoyed talking to you and I cannot wait to actually meet you in person because I'm going to, one of these days when we can all travel again, I'm I coming know. out to New York and maybe we can meet in New York or something. I know that's my hope too. I miss New York. I, I don't I, think I'm, I'm going to get there at all in 20. Well, I was there in February, but I don't think I'll get back in 2020, but hopefully no, 2021. Knock on wood, fingers crossed. So, <laughs> but it was wonderful. Thank you so much, Tina, for what you do. Oh, well, thank you. And you have an amazing day. You too, darling. Okay. Hang in there. Take care. All right, love. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Okay, bye.